We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them... It's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. The game ended with a Dolphins win, but some fans came out to an unpleasant surprise. We counted as many as 11 vehicles that were affected by a fire in the parking lot. Just look at this video. This started around 1 o'clock, so right around kickoff time for the Dolphins-Patriots game here at Hard Rock Stadium. We have several videos showing multiple cars charred. Our cameras captured crews working to put the flames out. We also shot video of a car with a grill in the back. Right now, the cause of the fire has not been released by the fire department, but as we know, with tailgating, there are often grills in the parking lot there. Now, a spokesperson from Hard Rock Stadium says the fire is under investigation and there were no injuries. Welcome, everybody, to another edition, a week one in-season edition of your AFC East Roundup podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And that was Chris. Bridget Matter and WPLG, the ABC affiliate in Miami. <laughs> Look at that, folks. The biggest, the, the, the biggest flaming hunk of garbage wasn't on the field in Miami wearing a New England Patriots jersey. It was actually outside the stadium. The biggest j- just tire fire of the week didn't take place on the field. In no, fact, it's out in the parking lot. How now, I, we've been tailgating for a long time. I've never seen or heard of that happening I, lately. Well, no, well, this is what I'll say. I know exactly how it happens. See, people like to do this thing, right? And I know this. Oh, the investigation. No, 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 no. I, I don't need a fucking investigator. I don't need anybody. Here's what here's what you need is a little bit of common sense and having ever tailgated around drunk people before you get these people. Now, Chris, you know that Iman and I are pretty, we're sticklers when it comes to not just food prep, not just barbecue prep at our tailgates, not just the food execution, but also how we police up afterwards. Correct or incorrect? Correct. Now, I haven't 
I mean, I'm a truck Nazi. You know that. Yeah. Well, if you don't pack my truck the right way, I flip out. I I haven't tailgated for a game since the Falcon game. Yeah. That was a winter game. You're going to be back. Yeah, but uh, what, 2019? You know, I did the whole season. And at least back then, you had a small camping propane grill. Yep. And that thing had to be cool before it could go back in my vehicle. Yeah. Had to. Otherwise, it got pushed into the weeds, and if somebody stole it, I don't give a fuck. They, they want it more than I want to keep it. There's a rule to this. Now, here's what happens, Chris. When you get some drunken horses' asses together, you're tailgating in what is a cement parking lot. You just asphalt and spray paint. And you're in Miami. And you're in Miami. There's nowhere to dump hot coals. So you and your, or, or there is, and you and your friends just wait too long to actually police up the grill. So you don't put this thing out fast enough. It's still hot. You don't know what to do with it. And you don't want to leave it sitting out. So you say to yourself, bah, don't worry, guys. I'm just going to close this thing up. We'll put it underneath the car. It'll be fine. Maybe back in 1973. I think they put it actually in the vehicle. Oh, that would see now. This would see that's a whole other level of horse's ass. Because there was, a, I believe, from the pictures I saw, it looked like it started in a Jeep Wrangler, well, and you could see the remnants of a grill in the actual trunk. Oh, see, that's a game changer. Because here's what happens with most people who pull this kind of horse shit off. So then it just melts the bottom, and they, it probably fell right on top of the gas tank. What they do is they put it under the vehicle, thinking, okay, well, it's safe, it's under there, nobody's going to bump into it, it's going to be fine. Not realizing that, mm, I'd say 90% of the gas tanks in vehicles today are made of plastic. Plastic fuel tanks. Or very thin steel. So what that means is that if you heat that, holy, like, Chris, you're asking for an inferno, right? Yeah. Leave it to somebody at Hard Rock Stadium to set everybody else's car on fire. You know what's funny about that story is it actually made me think of something that happened to a friend of mine from high school. Uh, Justin Lamb and some other kids, they went down. They went camping in Zor Valley for a weekend down in the south towns of western New York. They go. There's a big parking area. They park their Chevy Malibu. I don't know why that just is stuck in my memory. It was a tan Chevy Malibu. They park the car, and then they hike into the woods for the night. They come out the following morning after their hiking and camping extravaganza. His car is a, like, on one, like two-thirds of the car. The windows are blown out on one side. Two-thirds of the car is scorched metal, so hot that the vinyl itself and the paint has begun peeling off of the frame itself. He's like, what the fuck? So he calls the cops, being like, Some, someone set my car on fire. Well, it turns out that you don't get cell phone reception out there in Zor, and the cops were already looking for him. They had gone to his place. He wasn't home. No one could get a hold of him on his cell phone. A van had parked next to his car approximately 30, 40 minutes after he got there and started hiking back into the woods and exploded. That van explosion <laughs> decimated his vehicle. I like it. And he had to spend... Of like a calendar year wrangling with insurance companies to figure out who's going to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to know who's at fault just from a fan base perspective. If there's anybody out there who knows anything about auto insurance, please. Now, our, our, our morbid curiosity is piqued by this hilarious situation. Who is at, how do you figure out who is at fault 
And whose insurance company is ultimately responsible for all this damage? Reach out to us at Rock Belt Report on Twitter. Let us hear it. But we're here talking about the week one around the AFC East. And one of the, I guess, the highlights of the week, the themes of the week, as it is every single week one, is overreactions and underreactions. Because that's kind of the, that's what everyone's talking about, right, Chris? Yeah. Every fan base has one. And it's funny because there was an article over at GangreenNation.com, the Jets SB Nation affiliate, written by, oh, what is this guy's name? He just goes by John B. And it's just entitled, You're Overreacting. Now, this was posted on September 12th. It says, editor's note, this article was written approximately one hour before kickoff of Jets-Ravens and scheduled in advance. Goes, the first game of the season is now in the books. Here's what I do know for a fact. You are overreacting to the outcome. Hopefully the Jets blew the Ravens out. Because right now they seem unbeatable. (laughs) Maybe the Jets won a tight game. It'll be a sign that bounces will go their way this season. Maybe the Jets lost a tight game. We'll all think that this one might come back to haunt us, right? I hope the Jets didn't get blown out. If they did, I'm sure there will be panic after all the upgrades in the offseason. Just take a step back for a minute. It was only one game. Now, that's hilarious because I feel like those words coming from the managing editor, editor editor-in-chief of an SB Nation fan page fell on its own fan base's deaf ears, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> As we start by talking about the my the the New York Jets after what was just an absolute drubbing, oh, what they lost 24 to 9. 24 to 9. And here to talk to us about it as always, Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. Scott, how are we feeling today? Well, if I could quote one of the more viral memes that came from the TV show Mad Men. Not great, Bob. <laughs> Come on. It can't be all that bad. I'm, I mean, actually, it can be. It can be. I, I didn't watch. I didn't have to watch that game to know how badly it went. Um, I, we're talking because the theme of tonight's show is just overreactions, underreactions. If we're talking about the New York Jets, I can imagine that there's a multitude of overreactions. I mean, we've already heard some from the Jets head coach who was talking about how he's keeping receipts. Like, that's that's a bad look. Like, that's, that's not great. Salah, look, there are people like me, right? I'm a shithead. I will say some really inflammatory things. I'll tweet at you sometimes, depending on how many beers I've had, Robert Sala. You're a head coach. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I'll say things. You can't admit that that bothers you. You can't let that get out there. And I get it if he's just trying to defend the team, but, but don't do that because all that does is add fuel to the fire of angsty fans who already are starting to fret over the direction of this team, the direction of the staff, the direction, the the, the, the roster building that's gone by down by the coach. And for fans like Bills fans listening to this who don't understand why Jets fans just move to full immolation so quickly, the Jets don't have a September win in four seasons. So if you're talking about a team that's looking for optimism, looking for growth, looking for hope, looking for some proof 
you know, of this concept that everyone, I, myself included, wants to believe that Joe Douglas knows what he's doing building his team and that Robert Sala could be a good head coach to motivate the pieces that Joe Douglas is putting on the field. A loss like this doesn't go very far to getting them there. What do you think, in your opinion, is the biggest overreaction of the New York Jets fan base right now? That's a tough one because a, the bulk of the talk, I think, has been about how bad the offense was, and a lot of the focus has gone on Robert Sala for the comments you mentioned and Joe Flacco because he looked like he was stuck in cement all day. And I think probably the biggest overreaction is to Sala, even though I myself have been kind of annoyed by the things he's been saying. And the reason that I say there's a bigger overreaction to Salah than Flacco is because I think the freakouts, I don't want to say freakouts, but the negative reaction to Flacco has been entirely justified. Realistically, we, we tried to lie to ourselves as Jets fans that, well, he's a former Super Bowl MVP and he looked pretty good in camp and Salah's been talking him up and these things. But in reality, Joe Flacco's been washed up for a couple of years now. Uh, he's three in, I think three and seventeen in his last twenty starts or something like that. There's a reason for that, and the problem becomes if Joe Flacco and, and I'll credit my friend Glenn Naughton from Jet Nation on this one. If Joe Flacco is supposed to be this wily veteran who can move the chains and and not make the silly mistakes and and just take the easy plays and be the guy that keeps the Jets competitive I suppose until Zach Wilson comes back and then you get what you saw on Sunday which look again the offensive line not great but if you go and look at the tape you'll see and again I'll credit Glenn for this because he noticed this as it was going on Flacco on quite a few plays despite pressure had time to throw and he held the ball 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 and then he would have an open receiver that he wouldn't see and he would either check down or he would throw the ball into the dirt. And if you're going to have a guy like Flacco who's been in the league 15 years and he's going to do that, I don't even know what the purpose is. So I can't say there's an overreaction there. With Salah, I think the problem is that everybody liked him so much and his whole rah-rah thing, and it was such a departure from Gase that everybody was willing to cut him every piece of slack imaginable early on. But I think the problem is, when you get to a point now where there's all this renewed optimism because they made all these moves in the offseason, they had what a lot of people think was a really good draft, they added all this talent, and then Salas says all these things that are either contradictory or undercut him specifically, right? So he comes out and he says, this was an expansion team before Joe Douglas got here. Okay, but the expansion team won seven games before you got here with Adam Gase who we all agree was terrible, and you won three games because one of the games that was won last year was when Ron Middleton was coaching, when Salah was out with COVID. So he only won three games last year. And then after all this renewed optimism, you go into the opener and get absolutely embarrassed by the Ravens at home. The offense can't do anything. And then you start you keep spouting these cliches, all gas, no break, positive vibes only. And then I think what happened was in a, in a moment of truth, he got frustrated and started saying things that he believed, but probably was keeping it held inside. Like 
what he said about, uh, um, you know, oh, the haters and, and, and the losers <laughs> and all this stuff and uh, the receipts. And it's like, dude, the reason that the Jets are getting haters and, and people calling them losers and all this stuff is because they haven't been above 500 since 2015. They picked in the top 11 in the draft every year since then, right? And the only, the only time they picked outside the top 10 was Gase's 7-9 and nine year. And this team, it, after all the optimism and all the stuff about how it's a new day and all that, you come out like that and get your brains beat in in front of a hometown crowd on a rainy day. I mean, look, how much do you want Jets fans to take? It's been one groin kick in the, cause he said another thing that just, oh, I know everybody wants instant results like instant coffee in the microwave. And it's like, dude, I get what you're saying, but Jets fans actually have been among the most patient. We're sitting <laughs> through the like fourth rebuild in a row in the last seven years. And all we're asking for is give us competitive football on Sundays. Let us sit down on a Sunday afternoon on a consistent basis and be able to enjoy these games. And they haven't done that consistently since 2015. And it's a lot to take, and it was tone deaf. And I, he came out the next day, I guess probably somebody from PR got a hold of him and was like, <laughs> yeah, Bob, don't say that. dial it back a few <laughs> notches. Yeah, you shouldn't say that. And so he was like, well, I just want the fans to know it wasn't, it wasn't targeted at them. I was targeting the the pundits and the people in the media that don't believe in us. And I just got upset because I'm sticking up for our guys. And I get that. But the problem is you can talk all this rah-rah stuff, but you lose enough. And yeah, sure. Maybe a few of the guys in the locker room like that you stuck up for them, but at a certain point it all falls on deaf ears. And like I said, man, Jets fans have been as patient as you could expect, especially in this city. And it's just been very difficult because you feel at a certain point like no matter what changes, in the end, the result is the same. I mean, you're, you just see the Jets go out there and, and look lifeless. Can I, can, I, can I read our audience the DM you sent me when I sent you that uh, Peyton Manning clip? <laughs> I sent. I honestly don't even remember what I said, but sure. So I sent Scott a <laughs> clip of Peyton Manning making the joke about how the, the Jets threw 59 times. He goes, oh, yeah, the Jets threw 59 times yesterday. That worked out well for him. Like, sarcastically just poking fun at the Jets after what was a disaster of a game. So I sent it to Scott, and I'm like, man, that's cold. And he responded with, I was on four hours of sleep, hadn't eaten, and it was raining while I watched that prison <laughs> rape. I wasn't happy. <laughs> These are the fans. These are the people who have to sit here and watch this happen. Now, in terms of the actual nuts and bolts of the game itself, you said, you know, kind of in passing, you were like, well, the offensive line wasn't good. I think as an outsider looking at the numbers, isn't good or wasn't good is kind of a, that's not even a, you're, you're being light, you're treating this almost with kid gloves. Lakin Tomlinson was painted. Yeah, well, no, 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 but the hang on. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. The reason I, I was just going to say, and I'll start here, Lakin Tomlinson. Now, he's a guy. If I'm an outsider and I'm looking at your stat sheet and I'm going, yeah. Lakin Tomlinson is a guy who was viewed as a get for this team. And he may still, again, probably going to be good for the New York Jets over the course of the contract that they gave him. His very first right. game, he allowed eight pressures, which led the entire team. Yeah, it was terrible. And it was bad. And then you go down the line yeah, and you terrible. say, when you look at that, though, when you've got disorganization, right? Because you had to throw in a right tackle. 
right? And I see how this happens. I'll apply some context to it for our listeners. Every if you go to PFF and you look at the pass blocking grades, their pass their their offensive line, all of their starters were terrible. I think they allowed twenty pressures in total by the starting offensive line. But this is what happens right. when you're a football team that says, "Hey, we know who our bookend tackles are going to be," and then one of them gets hurt, and you say, "Okay, well, okay, fine, we lost our guy." Whatever, we'll go out and we'll sign a veteran. He will be good enough to get us through this season. It's going to be fine. And then you lose that veteran and you go, oh, fuck. All right. Uh, Max, something called Max Mitchell is going to start at right tackle for us. Now you're saying, now he didn't statistically play that poorly of a game compared to everybody else, but what happens is the whole synergy of the line is fucked. Everything is fucked because your right guard now has to cheat to his side to help him. Your center now is kind of forced to be like, okay, well, guess what? Left guard, Lakin Tomlinson, I can't help you. I'm over here working with these guys, and this is just going to be what it is. So you've got Connor McGovern trying to help an Elijah Vera Tucker, who's trying to help a Max Mitchell. And Lakin Tomlinson and George Fant are kind of left to their own devices. It reminded me a lot of that uh, Squid Game. When they're doing the contest where they're pulling the, tight, uh, the, the, the tug of war back and forth, and eventually, whoever loses just gets dragged to their death. That was the New York Jets. Like, one weak link on one end of the line just pulled everyone to their death. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I get it. The The line wasn't good. And the funny thing is, everybody was so worried about Mitchell. And as you said, he was sort of the least of their problems. Tomlinson was the one that was the most disappointing just because he's the one that's supposed to be that guy that, as he said, was a big get in the offseason, an anchor, somebody who knows the system, a real leader, the whole thing, and he was just really, really bad. But I think the reason why I said they were bad and didn't go further than that is because, yes, they were bad, but Joe Flacco still had a fair amount of time to throw on a lot of dropbacks, and he just couldn't get it done. It, It was puzzling seeing a guy with that much experience be that bad. But, yeah, I mean, listen, we got sold that it's a new day and and everybody has said, Oh, well you, you can't discount the positives and Zach Wilson wasn't there. And I totally get all that. Don't get me wrong. Hopefully Wilson comes in and, and he's better. And, and there were some, certainly some positives. I mean, honestly, your, your defense, the Jets have, look at this, your defense, yeah. Jermaine Johnson gets a fucking sack and everyone goes, look, well, no one's talking about it. Jermaine Johnson had a good game. Well, he was okay. I mean, the main thing that I took away on the defense, I mean, Quinton Williams played really well. But honestly, what, what really was striking as far as the positives was that the Jets may have a top five cornerback duo, which is really, really fun to see because over the last few years, they've had pretty bad cornerback play. So Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed were both phenomenal. I think they allowed eight yards passing between the two of them. One reception. Reed had an interception. Your starting cornerbacks allowed one reception on Sauce nine targets. Gardner. That's fucking wild. Right. And Sauce, Gard- and Sauce Gardner had a phenomenal pass breakup against Mark Andrews uh, in the end zone. So these are the kind of things you want to see. But it, it's just tough because, again, I know that it <sighs> – I don't know how else to say this, Drew, so I'll just say it this way. It just, how many times can you get kicked in the balls before you're like, please stop kicking me in the balls? You know what I mean? No, I hear you, brother. So now you guys move on from week one. You're moving on to week two. Now, I don't know that things get any easier, per se, 
Like, I mean, the, the Ravens are a stiff team, right? Everybody knows that they have a lot going for them. You guys are now going to go play the Cleveland Browns, who I think beating the Panthers, again, we're talking about week one overreactions, they needed a last-second field goal to beat a Baker Mayfield-led team with no defense. So I don't know what they are either. And so in this way, Jacoby Brissett, I don't think he's had back-to-back wins in years. There's an opportunity here. What If there's anything you're optimistic about about this game, what would it be before we get out of here? Well, I'll say this. I don't know that they'll be able to do it, but if I were to look at one thing in a positive light in terms of this matchup, it's that the Browns won that game on the strength of their running game. Cream Hunt had two touchdowns, and Nick Chubb had like 160 yards or something like that. They just ran all over the Panthers. And if you look at what the Jets actually did very well on Sunday, Lamar Jackson did buy time with his legs, and he had one play where I think it was the third and eight, and he scrambled for a first down. But if you look at his rushing numbers, they were not all that great. And the, the Ravens were unable to run the ball for the entire day for the most part. So if the Jets are able to do that with the Browns, if they're able to stack the box and just say Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb are not going to do this to us, Granted, easier said than done because the Browns do have one of the better offensive lines in the NFL, but the Jets are able to do that and make Jacoby Prisett them, then maybe they can hang in there. I mean, you're going to need a better performance from Joe Flacco, obviously. But like you said, there's a reason why Brissett hasn't had back-to-back wins in forever. It's because my friend George Bremer said this well, and <laughs> George is one of the best beat writers in the country, I think. He covers the Colts for CNHI Sports in Indianapolis. And I remember when the Colts ended up getting Phillip Rivers. And before that, I said, who's going to be the quarterback this year? And he goes, anybody but Jacoby Brissett. And I said, really? He's that bad? I go, look. He goes, look, I like Jacoby Brissett. We have the same birthday. Nice guy. Great in the locker room. Uh, he can't be the quarterback. He's just not like, he just can't be the quarterback. He, he adds nothing. The best thing you could say about Jacoby Brissett is that he will not lose, but he will not win you anything. So, look, if the Jets can stop the run and then Jacoby Brissett beats them, then at that point I think you have to start panicking because if, if you can't beat a team – if you're able to stop their, their running game somehow and you can't beat a team with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback after that, ooh, I don't know who you're beating. Well, uh, It's going to be a fun week in the lead up to this. Where can everybody find your work and what do you have coming up over at Play Like a Jet this week? So over at Play Like a Jet this week, a lot of fun stuff. Uh, Jake Burns, who does some outstanding Browns breakdowns, film stuff, uh, one of the best out there, I think, for my money, just really understands football. Sort of like you guys have uh, uh, Cover One, who are really good at breaking down film, Eric Turner and those guys. Uh, Jake does that. You know, we have Joe Blewett and Luke Grant and, and people like that. Uh, I think Jake is as good as those guys, uh, but for the Browns. So he's going to come on. We're going to talk Browns. We'll, we'll break that matchup down. Uh, we broke down uh, – <laughs> If you want, even if you're a Bills fan, you might enjoy this. Nick Spano, from, who is the co-founder at U Stadium, he comes on to do midweek news and notes reports. And Nick really had enough of Robert Sala's sloganeering this week. 
And look, Nick can be a bit on the negative side in real life, but generally on the show, he's fairly measured. But this time he got almost into Joe Beningo territory. He was really annoyed. So if you want to hear some entertaining stuff, uh, Nick and I, a lot of people were complimenting the show. They said that Nick was basically speaking for a lot of them. So that that's up there too. Uh, Mike Davis, who is Garrett Wilson's mentor and coach and who helped him get to Ohio state and then helped keep him, you know, going and, and, and um, getting improving and get, got him to the NFL former Texas University of Texas wide receiver. He's going to be on the show to talk about Garrett Wilson's performance and the rest of the offense. Uh, Luke Grant's going to do some film. We're going to answer some mailbag questions. We'll do a pregame report with Chris Nimbley, who will uh, do a lot of these prop bets, which is always a lot of fun. And we can look back and see which of them we got right. So all of that, seven days a week, every single day, God help me with this team. It's probably why I'm going to end up in the nut house at some point. You can find me at play like a jet one. You can check out our YouTube videos, youtube.com slash play like a jet. And if you go to our YouTube channel and you pull up the videos, you will be almost, almost as entertained as you would have been. If you watched the main event of collision at the castle between Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns. By the way, Roman Reigns now uh, two years without a defeat, while the Jets, I think, have gone about two years without a victory in the AFC East. So similar streaks, but different results, one positive, one negative. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so from the New York Jets, we pivot to arguably what might be the most distraught fan base in the AFCs right now. The New England Patriots, who lost their game 20 to 7 to the Miami Dolphins to fall to 0 and 1 and last place in the AFC East. And we're talking about overreactions and underreactions this week. I feel like I already know what the biggest overreaction from Patriots fans are. And I think I heard it in real time over on WEI. Chris? Yeah, good morning. You know, the, my first take on this thing is it's week one, right? Yeah. But then I look back, it's a disaster. The guy, the genius, the guy we've been calling the genius for three decades doesn't have an offensive coordinator because he's so smart. But he's also arrogant. He's too arrogant. The guy needs to go, but the only reason why he's not going, he wants shoeless record. 
and he's tearing us apart. We are in last place. The Jets have a better quarterback. The Bills forget about it. They're in another stratosphere. We saw it all last year. The, the Bills are modern-day football. The Pats are old-school football left over from years ago. It's a disaster. Get rid of the genius. That's Bobby from Northborough calling in the Greg Hill Show on WEEI. Uh, cr- Christian, are you related to that guy? Like, do people really sound like that? You know, oftentimes I get extremely aggravated when people make fun of my accent. When, I, when I'm wherever I am, if I'm anywhere in the country, the world, you know, I say where I'm from and they say, oh, you know, and then they do the stupid accent. That's why right there, that guy, that guy right there, because that guy gets airtime. And the majority of the call is sound like that. So maybe I am related. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Folks, Patriots superfan Christian Simonelli on the air with us to talk about the New England Patriots. Can we call that the ugliest overreaction from the Patriots fan base? The calling of Bill Bell calling for Bill Belichick's head? I uh I would say so. Um you know, it's certainly uh, <laughs> there were glimpses of it last year, by the way. Um, not just this year, but there were glimpses of it when they tailed off at the end of last season. And the only team that they beat with were the, the Jaguars. So, um, but yeah, people are, uh, people are rising up after, after last week for sure. Uh, uh, it's going to get the hackles up when you lose again in Miami. I mean, I think it's, I, I mean, you're talking about dubious records, Bill Belichick three and seven against Miami with Tom Brady now for his career, Mac Jones, oh, and three. And and then you're looking at some of the stuff that comes out of the game. And I can understand why it's infuriating and why people would call him arrogant. He's talking about, uh, well, what is it? He was, I think it was Kendrick Bourne. And he was talking about how uh, dog Kendrick Bourne's not in trouble. And they were like, wow, what do you do to get in your doghouse? And he's like, what? That, that didn't happen. I don't understand what you're asking me questions about. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? We saw it with our own eyes that you marginalized arguably one of the one of the few playmakers that this offense has. For some reason, he did something, and you're not a fan. And he's just like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. That's that's made up. I <laughs> I can see why people would look at that and call him arrogant. Uh, it's and I, I'll tell you, I listened to his post game presser. That's the saddest I've ever heard that guy. You know, he came out and he tried to do the whole thing of like, well, you know, if it wasn't for a couple of bad drives, this game would have looked a lot different. It's like, yeah, that's every football game, Bill. Like, I, I get that this is why the fan base is probably not your biggest fan right now. In terms of the game itself, I've got a question for you because you heard the caller mention something about offensive coordinating and how he doesn't have an offensive coordinator. The one big takeaway I had from kind of watching the condensed version of the game and going through the stats, the Patriots only had two offensive drives the whole game that actually worked. Right, And they were both scripted. They were both a scripted drive to start each half of the game. Right out of the gate, you go down the field. Interception in the end zone probably could have been called for P.I. if uh, Parker works a little bit harder back to the football. And maybe that ends differently. And then the wheels fall off. And then they go back to the locker room. They put it back together. They come out. They put on a scoring drive. And you go, okay, things are going to be okay. And as soon as he's forced to adapt because the defense goes, okay, we saw what was on the field the last drive, they adapt to it, he has no pivot, what would your grade of Patricia's first crack at Patriots offensive coordinator here be? Uh, I give him a D. Um, And the only reason I don't give him an F is because that first drive that they came out, and you're right, 
it was the first drive of the game and then the first drive of the second half, uh, particularly the first drive of the game looked so promising. I was like, oh, they'll be okay. All right. Like they can actually run NFL plays. And then they decided to throw a jump ball to Dante Parker in the end zone against Miami's best corner. Um, where like a five-year-old kid the, the week before that Xavier Howard absolutely owned Devontae Parker in practice to the point where Parker would get frustrated when he was there and throw his helmet in frustration because mm-hmm. Howard, you know, used to cover him so well. But now let's throw a 50-50 jump ball to him in the end zone. Um, and then Bill explains it away, you know, well, you know, the, the, those usually get, get knocked away and it was just the way it got tipped. And, you know, to your point about, you know, one of those two or three things that happened in the game. Um, no, I give him a D. I give Patricia a D. The strength of this team has always been adjustments, not halftime adjustments, in-game adjustments, drive-to-drive adjustments. The defense is doing this, we do that. The defense is doing that, we do this. So those other drives that he had produced nothing because there were no adjustments, none. And it's and that's got to be frustrating. It's got to be really frustrating as a fan to see. One of the big things, like, I tried watching the game. I'll level with you. You know, it's a Sunday. We're standing around in my buddy's garage. They've got the kids running around. It's like me, him, his brother-in-law, my wife, some other people. It was a good time. There's dips flying around. Relaxing Sunday for Bills fans because our, our the heavy lifting was over for us. I was at work, and we have a right. we have a TV in, in our break room, and there were some other people in there because we get a break at 1 o'clock. And I was like, uh, do you guys care which game – I put on because we can get the Dolphins and Patriots or the Eagles and Lions. And they were like, oh, we don't, you know, up to you. And I was like, well, you know what? I'd rather go get a colonoscopy on Bailey Avenue than watch the Patriots and Dolphins game. And and I'll tell you what. Putting on the Eagle game. You (laughs) saved yourself a headache because we tried watching it. In that first half, I will say this, that first drive didn't go well. The offense for the Patriots didn't get off the ground. But the first half defense for the Patriots made that game so incredibly boring because neither team could move the football, but at least your defense was holding its own against Miami's offense. And you could tell Miami was trying to dial up some shots. They were trying to get creative. They were trying to find ways to manufacture chunk yards against you guys, and they just weren't able to execute it. So your defense got the job done during that first half, and then in the second half, like right towards the end, I saw that they scored. And then in the second half, it seems like they really just either Miami figured it out or I mean, what happened in that second half with your defense? You know, I think there's definitely something to the Miami, you know, figured it out. I, I, I always, especially in Miami, and this is not a defense of, of their performance, but it's that second half where teams that aren't used to playing and that start to wear down. Um, and I think that, you know, there were plenty of da- third downs that – the Patriots could have made a play and they didn't. Um, and I, it's odd, uh, you know, just speaking of adjustments, like on the offensive side of the ball, Bill is usually so good about making the adjustment on the defensive side of the ball. And as a fan, it's getting very harder and harder for me to, to fall back on the phrase and Bill we trust because I haven't seen a game plan on either side of the ball in a long time where I could say, wow, you know, they just completely outcoached the other team and they completely outschemed them and they completely negated this or, or that or took it away. Um, it's very frustrating. Tua is 4 0 against Patriots. I think Tua is average at best. Um, and that's the maddening 
part of it. Mm-hmm. Me as a fan, it's like this kid is he's okay. He's just all right. Um, so to me, that's that's what you know. We're all four against this guy. It's crazy. <laughs> See, and that's where the comparison starts to, like when you try to, especially after week one, when you try to do the comparison game, it does get ugly. Because I think about it like this. You, you were one of, your team was one of four teams to only score in the single digits, right? But if you want to compare the struggles of the Patriots on Sunday to the other, the other teams, Dallas, Green Bay, the Jets, you could almost make an argument. I mean, Trent Brown had a forgettable day. Mac Jones wasn't overly impressive, but I don't think that's all his fault. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I know right now people are hearing that and going, Oh, see, Drew's a Bama homer. Oh, fucking Drew being a homer again. No, no, no. It's, there's, there's nobody helping that kid. Everyone's doing, everyone is doing him a disservice, including Bill Belichick. Your wide receiver room as a whole has no individual track record of competing with good NFL coverage units consistently. Judon might be one of the only special players on the roster. So when I look around and I, I try to compare, okay, here's all the single score teams, you know, for doing the week one overreaction comparison thing, I'd argue the Patriots might actually have the least amount of blue chip talent that you could bank on getting better or good enough to change their fortunes in the weeks ahead. Would you agree with my, because that statement's probably an overreaction. Would you agree or disagree? No, I agree with that. And I think this just goes back to your earlier point about Kendrick Bourne. Um, last year, Max top three options on offense were Hunter Henry, Kendrick Bourne, and, um, wow, I just totally blanked on the other guy. How about that? Kobe so Myers. much for options. Anyways, <laughs> Kendrick, thank you very much. Um, what did Kendrick Bourne do? Did he like murder four people? Um, from all accounts, <laughs> this, so. this, this kid got in a fight in Carolina at the Carolina joint practice. He took a, threw a haymaker at somebody. Um, you know, there was another practice that he got thrown off the field for an equipment violation. The ref kicked him off the field in one of those joint practices and Bill was, was, was bull, bull with him. Um, it's, that was over a month ago. Like we're in the middle, we're we're in the beginning of the season, put it to bed. And if the guy is that much of a headache, trade him. You did it with Randy Moss. The minute Randy Moss became a headache, you sent him off Minnesota. So, I don't want to hear, oh, this guy, you know, did this or he's got to, you know, work his playing time back, um, you know, like, you know, get his, get the confidence in the coaches back. You don't have that luxury because you don't have number 12 anymore. You have to get the best plays you could possibly get on the field. The wide receiver core, I mentioned this last time, it's probably the, the most talented it's been in two, three seasons. And it's average at best. That's how bad it was. Right now, it's average at best. So you need everybody you can possibly get to help you. See, and it's the stuff like this that leads to that call that we heard at the start of this segment. Like, it's these kind oh, yeah. of things that has people at the doorstep of w- what sounds like overreaction, but you can, like, that's why I love talking to you about this, Christian. That's why I knew that this was going to be a fun segment, because you're helping us get there. As out-of-town fans who go, ah, you know, we heckle Bill Belichick, we can make fun of him, but if we had a Hall of first ballot Hall of Fame head coach, it would be tough for us to be like, you need to fire this guy. He's arrogant. He's a bum. He's not. Put. But now you're starting to see how fans get there when they look at this and go, you're making the roster building decisions. You're the guy who decides who plays and who sees the field and who's in the doghouse and who does what, who calls the plays. 
All right. roads lead back to Bill Belichick. And this game was kind of a, <laughs> a mea culpa, if you want to call it that, of just, man, Belichick. It's getting real late out here. Belichick, <laughs> it's getting real late out here. Now, you guys, now you guys have another game coming up here this week. What's, what are the emotions, right? Ahead of week two, because everyone's trying to prove that everything that happened in week one was window dressing and isn't that relevant. You guys are going to go up against a Steelers team that is going to have a banged up Najee Harris, but as a defense to just force five turnovers against Cincinnati, what's your glass half full, glass half empty outlook on this one? Uh, thank God TJ Watt partially tore his back <laughs> because I think the game could potentially be a bloodbath, um, especially because Ryan Flores is on uh, uh, Pittsburgh's coaching staff. And the last uh, couple of times you played Brian Flores, he, uh, you know, pretty much, um, you know, took it to you. So <laughs> I, I, until I see this offense put together a scoring drive without the aid of a penalty, which is what they got Sunday, they needed a fourth down penalty to continue the drive to score the touchdown. I have no confidence that the team is, is going to go anywhere and, and win a game anytime soon. Um, I just don't. I, until I see something that gives me some glimpse uh, of hope, uh, I need that first drive of, of last week's game not not every drive of the game, but the majority of drives hopefully would look like that where you would get some points. But I I, I just I foresee another frustrating week, um, maybe not necessarily a loss by like 30 points because I think Bill could still at least coach to keep you from the game. But can he though? by two touchdowns <laughs> won't surprise me this week at all. Can he? I can. I, I can. I, I look. I, I Bill Bill knows football. Um, and you can still coach. Obviously, you guys waxed us in the playoff game last year by a gazillion points that totally just got away from there. You guys just steamrolled us. Um, I just – there is that part of me after two decades that you know, Bill can still put together. And I keep saying Bill. I keep saying Bill. I keep saying Bill. And, you know, and, it, and it's – no matter the way which way it goes, whether they're successful or they're not, it comes back to Bill. You know, oh, you got Patricia, you got Judge, you got, you know, you got his son, you got Mayo, it's all these other guys. No, it's Bill. Like, Bill, everything goes through Bill's headset on game day. He either approves of it or he doesn't. He's the one that approves the game plans. It's on him. So, until this offense can can put together something sustainable that resembles uh, not even a modern-day NFL offense, just an NFL offense, I have a very hard time picking them in any game, really. Well, Chris... It's well. What's the saying? You either die here or live long enough to become the villain. <sighs> you'll find you'll find zero sympathy over here in our cold black hearts. Christian, why don't you tell everybody where they can follow you on social, and we'll uh, we'll be half-heartedly pulling for you guys this weekend. You can uh, find me on Twitter, and um, you know, give me a follow. Give me a follow back at, at Chris with the T I A N, and um, you know. The more that we lose, the the better, you know, the more entertaining I am on Twitter. So, you know, I encourage you to, uh, if, you might, if you're looking for a good laugh after all these years of misery in Buffalo, give me a follow. So I crack a fresh one as we sit down to talk about the Miami Dolphins, who, as we just got done talking to a rather morose Christian Simonelli, stomped a mud hole in the New England Patriots 20 to 7. Mr. Elf Artiaga joins us. An elf, it's got to feel pretty good. 
It's got to feel pretty good being tied for the lead in the AFC East after one week, right? Oh, yeah. I was saying that as of right now, the season ended today. You guys are traveling to Miami in the second round of the playoffs because we have the number one seed overall. <sighs> All right. All right. So then let's talk about, oh, okay, cocky elf. I'm not used to this, Chris. There's a cocky elf Artiaga on the AFC roundup or these run charted waters. What is the biggest overreaction amongst the Dolphins fan base this week after your victory? Well, everybody, uh, it seems like, uh, you know, all the, of course I'm joking, but all the, all the Dolphin fans this week, um, they went from pretty happy about what transpired. Look, that, that game was over. That game, that game was over at 10 nothing. It was, it was really over at 17 nothing. <laughs> and it was even more over after the third turnover by Mac Jones. So I don't know what, what they expect, but yeah, they missed some opportunities to put a clown nose on, on the Patriots. And it seems like Bill Belichick was pretty upset about something Mike McDaniel was doing on that last drive, which I found curious as well. You know, uh, you're calling shot play after shot play under three minutes of 20 to seven, <laughs> you know, and then Tua rolls out and you could tell that Tua's rolling out like, wait a minute, somebody get out in a pattern. And then he just throws it away. I don't know why. But you could tell that he was like caught in between wanting to do something and then doing the smart thing, which was just slide down and end the game. <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, fans which is went hypocrisy. From, yeah, this is, which is hypocrisy at its fucking finest because that's the guy I'll never forget. I will never forget that Sunday night football game that I didn't watch that I didn't watch where he mercilessly rung it up on the Buffalo Bills on a Sunday night in front of the entire country where he's going for fourth down conversions late in the game when they're up by 40. Like, I, I remember those days, and I will never forgive him. So for him to become a sourpuss because somebody else gave him a taste of it, I don't know. That, that's just, to yeah, me, like... This is the same guy. This is the same guy that called the pass play on fourth and four at the 14-yard line, up 30 points in our season. Yeah. See, that guy can kiss my ass. Okay. Like, made you, it all that more delicious when, at the end of the season... We sent them on the road and handed the number one seed to the Kansas City Chiefs. And, of course, they lost the following week to, to the Titans. So I'm glad that you know, we got our measure of revenge, you know, that season alone. Like, we got it that season. Mm -hmm. But it would have been – it kind of would have been nice if we would have just thrown that touchdown pass, you know, up 20 to 7 with, like, 50 seconds left. Like, that would have been nice. Now, I will say – Oh, who knows what would have happened at <laughs> midfield, though. Because, you know, Utah <laughs> Belichick was pretty – he was pretty upset already. Yeah, know? but also he's 72. I mean, listen, the guy needs a man's ear. I don't think he's fighting anybody. I, th I think I think if anything, his son Joe Dirt would come off the sideline and try to get his old man's back, maybe. But who knows? Either either way, the game, let's not, even though the game was over when you guys ran up the score, let's not pretend it was all sunshine and rainbows. I watched that, for, I tried to watch that first half, flipping back and forth between that and the uh, Eagles, uh, Lions. the Eagles-Lions game. There was some ugly football being played by both teams there. Now, what do you attribute? Because I'm taking a look at this and like, like to look at the box score of that game when they start breaking it down play by play and you look at the drive charts, it took a while for Miami's offense to find its footing. Now, do you credit that more to what the defense of the Patriots was doing? Or do you attribute that more towards just because like you had the field goal drive? And, and I, I will say I was impressed. Long drives. 
That's the one thing I was impressed by. Sustained possession of the football, which the last two seasons hasn't been anything Dolphins fans could rely on. You had it, you matriculate down the field, and you score. But you you eat some clock, you do some things. Meanwhile, on the other side, they were just... I think that's what made it so unwatchable. The Patriots kept just having to punt, fumbling, interceptions. You guys at least put some points on the board. It just took you a long time to get there. Is this who you guys are? Like, is that what this thing is now? Just like, hey, we're going to small ball our way down the football field while trying to headhunt every now and again with a shot play. Yeah, it looks... It, that that kind of looked like what they were trying to do. Like they were they were they were calling pretty much everything that they want to get to. A lot of their tosses, a lot of their counter runs, a lot of the, those tricky looking runs that you see the Forty ers run. Like they were doing all those things, and then they were calling shot plays. And you got to give credit to the Patriots. Uh, they still managed to you know they still managed to keep some of their good defensive players, namely Matthew Judon and Cal Duggar, who played a spectacular game. Thought that I thought both guys played really really well. But they kept throwing dime out there, and you know they kept gambling on our running game not finding its footing. And I guess they gambled correctly because we were we were stuck like in neutral for most of that game with the running game until very 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 late. So yeah, I, I give I give the Patriots some credit. Their defense kind of kept us at bay, kept us from doing what we wanted to do. Now, like you, you could tell what they were trying to set up. Well, do you think that some of that has to do with the state of the offensive line right now? Well, yeah. Well, you know, the game started off and calamity hit like immediately. Uh, first of all, it, it was we get some clarity on that today, by the way. Which uh, Austin Jackson, it seems like he might not play this this Sunday. His ankle, I guess, was worse than 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 anticipated, but he get. Second drive, then Greg Little comes in for him, who actually played a really, really good game, but then he hurt. And then all of a sudden, Arn Armstead looked like he got kicked, but today said that nah, that he has a, a toe. He got his usual vet rest. What, what they call a veteran's maintenance day. Left for two plays because it looked like he got kicked by Matthew Judon. And then at one point we were playing with Eichenberg back at left tackle, and I started getting like you know uh, hot sweats thinking about last year. <laughs> and then uh, Robert Hunt stayed at right guard, who didn't play all that great. Connor Williams, by the way, I think they found something by moving him to center. He had a very very good game. Not that PFF means anything, but they graded him the best offensive lineman in football this past week. But they also graded Moon's game better than than Tua's, so. Make of that what you will. <laughs> and Patrick Mahomes, uh, 360 and five touchdowns, 144 passer rating, is evidently not good enough to be in the top six in the NFL this past season. You actually had a week. tweet. You actually so, had a hilarious tweet the other day. You were like, today's the day. You're like, this is officially the day that PFF jumped the shark because for some reason Trey Lance is like leading in like big time throws. You're like, oh, they have this, the, these yeah. rankings. They're like, Trey Lance somehow is above Josh Allen. And above all these quarterbacks in these rankings, you're like they they finally did it. They finally jumped the shark. Yeah, no. My favorite was because because I, I know a couple of these guys, okay, and I got into one of those DMs, and I don't mind you know releasing this here, but I'll say it. They rated Tua Tagovailoa as having zero, zero. That's uh, <laughs> less than one big time throws in that game, and I'm thinking, and I asked, do you think that a fourth and seven, okay? 
a slant that gets completed within in between three New England Patriots that goes for a 42-yard touchdown. That's not a big time throw. Mm-hmm. And the guy and the guy answered to me and told me, "No, that was based on timing. It was a timing route. So it's not a big time throw. It's a it's a it's a simple pitching catch." And I'm like, "Okay, okay, then this is over with." You know, <laughs> this, like, this conversation is over with because we're not talking about we're not we're not dealing with logic here. We're not talking about reality. You, you guys are in some kind of fantasy land that the rest of us just don't get a pass to. We don't get to live where you live. Yeah, like if if that's not a big time throw, and if you watch the replay, you can see how he moves the the linebacker with his eyes, and where that ball is getting completed, it's getting completed between three Patriots, and I mean, catches it right in stride, runs into the end zone, seventeen nothing, not a big time throw. I mean, this is the thing. You're looking at chunk yardage plays for the first time in probably. Chris, who's the last Dolphins quarterback you've seen consistently make chunk plays through the air? Dan Marino. Dan Marino. It's been there. Oh, 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 no, I know. Sage fucking Rosenfels. I'll never forget that game. That fourth quarter comeback. You, Suni Oswego. There is still probably a mark on the wall about 15 feet in the air. I was cleaning up the cafeteria after lunch service, watching the Bills game on the TV in there. And like Sage Rosenfels, we knock out the starter with a concussion and the backup comes in, puts on a furious three touchdown rally in the fourth quarter. And with time expiring, I think it was, oh my God, was it? Oh my God. It'll come to me later while I'm laying in bed. Chris Chambers. Chris Chambers. And I threw a chair. I took a chair and threw it as hard and high in the air as I could, and it probably went about 25 feet and put a dent in the wall. And everyone looked at me like I was crazy, and I just told them I was going home. So I've had enough of this I know shit. both guys. Uh, by the way, I know both guys, and they've talked about that game all the time. That uh, game haunts Supposedly me. they kept calling the, the – uh, when uh, – I forgot who the starter was. Who the hell was the starter? Uh, Feely. Was it Brian Greasy? No. It was, oh, yeah, no, <laughs> it was Greasy. Like no, it was, it was Greasy, I believe. Greasy was the guy, and he was having a shit day. Yeah. And I was like, look at this guy. He sucks. And yeah. then we knocked him out, and here comes Sage Rosenfels. I'm like, what the hell did we do? <laughs> oh. Yeah, supposedly, they've told the story before. Supposedly, when they came in, Sage Rosenfels hasn't had and had uh, too many reps that week. And they ran f- the four, they ran four plays over and over and over and over again. That's why you kept seeing that Chris Chambers kept catching that same game yeah. cut for 18 yards over and over and over again. Dude, so. it was one of the most enraging football experiences of my entire life. I would love to talk to Sage Rosenfels about that moment sometime. <laughs> Just because I know he's out here. He podcasts a little bit. I'd love to pick his brain about that. But. This is the first game where I watched the Dolphins make more than just one miraculous accident catch, pitch and throw down the field. And yet at the same time, since we're talking about the theme of overreactions, I, you know, before we brought you in, me and Christian Simonelli talking about how Tua didn't, for stretches of that game, didn't look overwhelmingly impressive. And there's a couple throws, because obviously everyone's going to cherry pick a couple. And let's face it, every quarterback has a couple of these. Tua just seems to have more of them than most other quarterbacks. Where, as as he put it, uh, Christian coined it, he looked like he was trying to throw a bucket of paint, not a football. <laughs> and he, he'll have these passes still where he just chunks the ball out there like a shot put. And I just wonder, like, so where... So there's this overreaction of, well, Tua still stinks, but the, at least we know the scheme is good. Painful overreaction, or do you think that that's a fair assessment? Uh, it, it can't be a first assessment okay. when he has a 104 quarterback rating. Okay. 
But yeah, he did have a couple of plays where, and it, it's always the same thing. And it, those, that's usually what happens with him. Although I'll also disagree with, uh, with PFF on this because they would, they like to ding him for this because they say, Oh, those would be turnovers. Okay. Well, Tua Tungavalo is a six foot, 220 pound quarterback. He's being tackled by Matthew Judon at six five, 270 pounds. And he throws the ball away into the dirt and it's incomplete. So is that a good play or a bad play? <laughs> well, exactly. You tell me. Exactly. And this is, oh, the turnover. Now he keeps plays? getting away with it. He yeah. keeps getting away with it over and over and over again. Maybe this is just a skill that he has. Well, that's it. Josh Allen. People go, oh, he has more turn. He gets dinged because by, by these idiots with clipboards because they go, well, Josh Allen is turnover worthy throws. Yeah. Except he's got a bigger arm than John fucking Elway. So when he throws into triple coverage, it doesn't matter because he's throwing into he's if it was anyone else, if it was Tua, if it was Mac Jones, if it was Zach Wilson, yes, that's a terrible idea for you to throw into triple coverage there. You're not Josh Allen. But it's also completely <laughs> You're everything not Josh that PFF Allen. does is complete. And and I know this is turning into a, let's you know, let's gang up on PFF, but you know, everything that they do seems to be subjective because uh, I asked, you know, what was the deal with that interception that Mac Jones threw to Javon Holland? Oh, well, no, nah, you know, because uh, you see uh, Xavier Howard was interfering with Devontae Parker. And I'm like, well, that's subjective. And he goes, no, it's not because he was grabbing him. I'm like, okay, did you see the replay and notice that Devontae Parker's hand was in Xavier Howard's throat? So who is guilty of pass interference there? <laughs> right so nobody is guilty of anything there so maybe both are guilty of clutching and grabbing and Xavier Howard was smart enough out jump Devontae Parker and tip the ball back into play where Javon Holland intercepted it like maybe that's a good play well, and maybe it's a bad play for Mac Jones to throw into coverage when our two best defensive backs and maybe our two best defensive players are standing there in close proximity to a guy we traded to the Patriots so he could play against us. <laughs> yeah, the Holland pick, I, we, we watched it happen in real time. It's just like, damn it, Javon Holland is nice. Damn. So this happens, you guys thrash the Patriots. Everybody's feeling good. You've got some injuries. Now you're going up against in week two. The, you've got the Baltimore Ravens. And this is going to be... Something of a test. I mean, I don't know what the Ravens are because that week, again, week one, we talk about overreactions, underreactions. We talked about it earlier in the show. I don't know what the Ravens are that dominant of a football team. I just think the Jets might be that bad. So in that way, you don't know if this is a step up or just kind of even footing in, co- in terms of competition. What's your outlook on this game and where is your barometer as far as optimism? No, uh, I expect offense to win this game because I expect them to duplicate what they did last year against the Ravens that kicked off that entire win streak. They completely eviscerated Lamar Jackson. And all they kept doing was the same thing over and over and over again. They showed zero blitz 36 times. I think it was 55 snaps that they played. And they showed zero blitz on 36. They actually went through with it, I think, 32 times. But what they kept doing the entire game is putting everybody on the line, all 11 guys. And then on occasion, they would drop a safety or two. And that completely befuddled Lamar Jackson. All of a sudden, there was no running lanes. And he couldn't throw on our two cornerbacks. Now, this time, we only have one of the two cornerbacks. But we seem to have gotten some pretty decent play out there from a few of the guys. Although Nick Needham did give up a big play. But, you know, I expect him to 
duplicate that while having a better offense this time. And I don't think it's going to be you know, they're going to blow out the the Baltimore Ravens. I think they're they're getting some help now. Ronnie Stanley's coming back. I think Marcus Peters is also coming back. So, but I I do expect the Dolphins to win this game. It should be a close one because I think the Ravens at home home opener they should be pretty good at home. But I think the Dolphins are better and they should win. Oh, I can't wait because if if that happens, Elf, then we're talking about probably two and zero Buffalo against probably two and zero Miami going against each other for the division lead right out of the gate that week. That that podcast you and I would do together in the advance of that matchup, the, the that week of media, that week of just everything would be so much spicier at two and zero and two and zero fighting for the top of the division like it used to be back in the nineties, Chris. What's what's old is new again. It's a great time to be alive. Elf, where can everybody find all of the great stuff you guys have coming up over at Three Yards Per Carry? Well, you can get our podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, that's the number three yards per carry anywhere. Spot Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you get your podcasts, and you can follow our work on the number three yards per carry on Twitter. Scott Mason, Alf Artiaga, Christian Simonelli. I mean, there's only one way to go here with this. They are the brood. <laughs> brood. Do you remember the brood, right? I remember Gangrel. Gangrel, Edge, and Christian. Do you remember how they got to the ring? See, now that's crazy because Edge and Christian actually wrestled for so much longer than Gangrel did. Well, he's he's like a he trains people. Of course he does. That's what fatties do. If you can't do, you teach. Well, do oh zing! I know some of our listeners are like, "Hey, you piece of shit!" I teach. Do you remember the brood's <laughs> entrance? No, didn't they all walk down in frilly shirts? Yeah, almost like puffy shirts, but yeah. no, they're like Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, they're no. I don't want to be a pirate. No, they're entrance. Do you, you not remember their entrance? No, of course they not. They came up through the stage in a ring of fire, oh, kind of like in a parking lot <laughs> of Hard Rock Stadium <laughs> of hot coals. I love how I don't know wrestling, and then when you explain it to me, I'm like, all right, that's good. I appreciate that. That brings us to our Buffalo Bills. The Bills beat the Rams 31 to 10, and again. Overreactions of the soup du jour around the league, not just in the AFC East, across the entire AFC. I mean, Chris, if you go out there and you look at headlines, the Colts and Texans are equally talented, and the AFC South is garbage with zero wins in the division. That's a headline. That's the sentiment of some of the headlines I read this week. That was a hell of a tie. I mean, Colts linebacker EJ Speed said, quote unquote, it was definitely some bullshit. <laughs> I'm dying with Houston. Was there any players that didn't know that there were ties in the NFL? That's hilarious. Like, how did you not know this can happen? Why? Because, oh, because they're a professional and they're used to winning. I'm sorry. Or losing, but at least there's some. Uh, and Rodrigo Blankenship definitely got made the uh, scapegoat. Yeah, he got cut. He got cut by the Colts. Uh, also, another overreaction. The Broncos are going to be fighting the Raiders for third in the AFC West. Which actually might not be an overreaction, but also... To come out of that Monday night, hilarious, hilarious ending. This is why week one in the NFL is so good. Well, I'd go back to earlier in the game. People are talking about Geno Smith not just being better than Mac Jones, but also being better than Russell Wilson. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's not a thing. <laughs> you know, I, I know that the uh, Hackett's play clock fiasco last night was, was a thing but oh, dude, how no, could, no no it wasn't no, just a thing how could it no was, how could you not look at the fact that they fumbled twice inside the five 
How about this? You go back and you watch the Manning cast of that game. Yeah. And you've got Shannon Sharp, of all people, who's watching this happen for his Broncos. And he's going, what, taking a lot of time. Taking a lot of time. That what, what, what are they doing? Obviously, they're going to come out. They're going to try to make a play. Blah, 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 and then they call the timeout. And then Pete Manning goes, oh, no, I think it was Eli. goes, oh, they're going to kick. And Shannon goes, kick what? They're gonna. What are they? What are they gonna kick? Kick what? <laughs> they're gonna kick a field goal, Shannon. They're gonna try to win the game on the longest kick in NFL history. <laughs> you mean to tell me that you don't think your two hundred and something million dollar quarterback can get you five yards? What, he, <laughs> what he's known for? It. It's surprising <laughs> that this game. My the Hackett's first game might be his downfall. As He's coach. the second. He, dude, it's what it's the thing that brands him the second coming of Doug Marone. Like, it, if there's such a thing as stigmata for Saint Marone, it just happened. Uh, so then the Browns. Here's an overreaction for you: the Browns are going to be contenders with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. No, he has no back-to-back wins in his career. <laughs> just, as Michael Jordan once famously said, "Stop it." get help i assume anyone who believes that that headline is true has been sniffing glue and it's finally gotten the best of you seek out aa okay that's it you're not a wild card team with jacoby Brissett. it's over now some of this is absolutely crazy but i also think there's some conference storylines that are real and aren't getting enough press both off the bills and on the you know around the league First of all, here's some underreactions. AFC contender GMs who spent big dollars on veteran pass rushers got early dividends. Like, they look like the smartest people in the room. Uh, Von Miller for the Buffalo Bills with two sacks. Two sacks and a ton of pressure and just a, a bringing like a veteran savvy to our pass rush. The Chargers with Khalil Mack getting three sacks on Derek Carr in his first game. Carlos Dunlap. Carlos Dunlap, a signing that happened late in the free agency period by the Kansas City Chiefs. He gets three sacks against the Arizona Cardinals as as they just blow the doors off Arizona. Veterans who swung for the fences with high-dollar contracts on these guys, don't they look smart? They do. They look a lot smarter than their counterparts who are like, no, you know what we'll do? We'll get a rookie. We'll get a rookie to solve all of our pass rush problems. I don't know. They, no. they, they look pretty smart to me. How about this? Since he's offensive line rebuilding, might not have been enough to save Joe Burrow's life. They got a rookie left guard who beat out a sophomore guard for the gig. Uh, Lyle Collins, they signed from the Cowboys to play right tackle. They bring in Ted Karras, who was like a former backup for the Patriots starter in Miami when they were the worst offensive line on earth. They bring these guys in to be starters, and everyone goes, look at that. Cincinnati rebuilt their offensive line. Super Bowl. Book it. The results were a disaster. The rookie left guard, everybody talked up all preseason, allowed seven pressures, three hurries, and a pair of sacks. Uh, Former Alabama left tackle Jonah Williams, who was, he's been panned so far throughout his career as a disappointment of a top 10 pick, gave up seven pressures, four hurries, and two sacks. That's 14 pressures and four sacks from the left side of your offensive line. Meaning that for a right-handed quarterback, Burrow has zero ability to turn his back to that side of the line and execute a downfield pass without having a hot read in place. Like, he has to know he's got a receiver somewhere because those guys can't protect him. 
It's the reason that they not only turned the ball over, what, four times. They didn't score a touchdown until the late third. That will absolutely destroy your offense. And the result was another awful three-point loss by the Bengals, making it four consecutive games, going back to the divisional round of last year, that they've either won or lost by just three points. And nine games, if you go back to the start of 2021, nine of their games have been won or lost by three points, and they lost six of those. The trend analyst in me tells me that might be bad. Like, hey, you end up in a lot of close games, but your offensive line is so shitty that your star wide receivers and quarterback that you sank all this money into and all these resources into, they're not doing anything for you. It's a fucking problem, isn't it, Chris? It is. Think about this. Josh Allen, one of the NFL's most elusive quarterbacks in, of last season, finished the year with 24 sacks. Joe Burrow led the league with 51 sacks and 99 total hits absorbed just standing in the pocket. That's not rollouts. That's not runs. That's not, hey, I'm scrambling and I'm going to get tackled. That's just him standing in the pocket. He was hit almost 100 times. If they can't fix this trend here in 2022, there's a chance that by the time the Bills play them on Monday Night Football in Week 16, he's not even on the fucking field. I'll be there. He's Joe Burrow. <laughs> and hopefully we're there depending on what goes on with your PTO situation. Yeah. So what are the Bills over and under reactions? I've got some juicy ones. I saw from Bills Twitter that Ryan Bates was overpaid. Now, we did pan him a little bit during this week's uh, recap of week one. He, what was it? The league average pass rush win rate is 91% for guards, and his was 74% against Donald. I've seen people commenting that Bates didn't deserve his extension based on what, like, what has he done? A game? One game. Now, Chris, contract, he doesn't deserve it. Sounds like you. <laughs> the reality is that while he didn't show up well against the best defensive lineman in the entire, in the entire game of football right now, Donald finished with one sack, two tackles, and one pressure. So everybody, say it with us. <gasps> Goosefraba. Also, Teron Johnson caught some shade for not being good at covering Cooper Cup. 87% target success rate and 128 total yards isn't ideal. If you're talking about a guy who's supposed to be one of the best slot corners in the league. But then take into account the fact that literally no one else on the field was allowed to make a play. For the L.A. Rams. Allen Robinson, 12 yards and one first down. Daryl Henderson, five catches, 26 yards, one first down. Kyler Higby, 39 yards, four first downs, and a career-low 45% target-to-catch ratio. There were games I remember back when I used to give a shit about the NBA. Because you know, it would roll around in the spring, there's nothing else on, there's no football, it'd be a weekend where there's no hockey, and I'm drunk and I'm looking to watch something. And I'd watch Steve Nash for the Phoenix Suns. And I would watch him score 45, almost 50 points in a game. And his team would still lose by 20. That's what the Bills did with the Rams. They said, listen, fuck everybody else on the field. Cooper Cup, we're going to try to slow you down, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You get yours because nobody else is going to. And you're, that's not enough to sustain an NFL football offense. One player who's making any kind of plays. No, you could do that right now watching baseball. Watch the Angels. Mike Trout, 
I think is he's he just single handedly powering his team to win. I want to say he said, I mean, I don't know what happened tonight when we're recording this on Wednesday, but as far as I last read, he had hit uh, seven home runs in a row, seven games in a row, a home run, and they're like three and four. <laughs> yeah, that's aggressive. You know, it's more aggressive, Chris. That we're going to end this with my own hot take, my own overreaction that happened before the game even really got going on Thursday night. That Isaiah McKenzie should be faded in favor of uh, Jameson Crowder. Chris, to say that I was running hot after that interception that should have been credited as a fumble to Isaiah McKenzie, yeah, I, there was a lot of things I said, some of them regrettable. I think I scared a few of your guests. That's not shocking to you, is it? No. Okay. This idea that Isaiah McKenzie, that Jamison Crowder deserves a bigger share in the offense. When you watch Jamison Crowder run routes in that game, he, he's very deliberate. He has, a, he has this savvy way of finding space in zones. He, he's kind of, he, he represents that half of what Cole Beasley was to this offense. McKenzie did make a mistake, and I wanted to fucking destroy him for it. But then you look at what he has, which is this rare speed agility mix, and just he's growing veteran savvy in terms of route running on that touchdown reception that he had, where he slowly comes off the line to the point where the guy who's supposed to be watching for him is probably thinking, I know Isaiah McKenzie. He's going to explode off the line and try to make an in-cut. And when he doesn't and he's slow out of his stance, the guy shifts his eyes for just a second. And McKenzie explodes on his second step, makes a tight cut and catches a what might have been a contested ball if it had been a second later. McKenzie is good, and he brings a rare thing to our offense that's going to be very tough for defenses to combat, especially in those exact situations where it's it's eight yards out from the line of scrimmage, and you have to you have a you're in a phone booth with this guy, and you need to stick in his hip pocket. He just showed that if you don't keep your eyes on him 100% of the time and you're not as fast as him, you're probably going to lose. I mean, I'm not going to start calling him red zone weapon Isaiah McKenzie, but I will say that you want the players with the most explosive attributes getting the ball on offense, right, Chris? Yep. So in that way, I'm a horse's ass for overreacting to McKenzie's early fumble and talking about how he should be put on the bench right next to James Cook. We all have them, right? Yeah. But the good news is, unlike anybody else here, there's no doubters about the Buffalo Bills, right? There's still people who doubt Miami. There's still people who... <laughs> the Jets the Jets and Patriots fan bases are literally flogging themselves as we speak. We're the only team in the division, even, even if we don't hold the lead for one week, at least we know, right? We go into this knowing... That we're the only fan base that genuinely feels good about almost every goddamn aspect of this football team. And I'll take that, won't you? Yeah. Perfect. Well, then I think our work here is done. Guys, this has been a fun episode, but we got to get the hell out of here. We will see you. Make sure you check out our preview podcast, which also drops in the same time this does. So if you're hearing this and you haven't heard our preview, go check it out for week two, home opener against the Tennessee Titans. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your AFC's Roundup. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.